Welcome to Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Joseph Pierce, who is the author of numerous acclaimed biographies of major Catholic literary figures. He's a writer in residence at Ave Maria University in Florida and editor of the Ignatius Critical Editions, a collection of classic literature accompanied by literary analysis from a variety of notable scholars. Among his other titles are Wisdom and Innocence, A Life of G.K. Chesterton, Literary Giants and Literary Catholics, The Unmasking of Oscar Wilde, Tolkien, Man and Myth, and C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church. Joseph is also the author of two other books, The Quest for Shakespeare and Through Shakespeare's Eyes, Seeing the Catholic Presence in the Plays. Both books are the basis for the extraordinarily popular EWTN series hosted by Joseph Pierce entitled The Quest for Shakespeare. Joseph joins us to go inside the pages of two books recently released by Ignatius Press in honor of the beatification of Blessed John Henry Newman. They're entitled Blessed John Henry Newman, Theologian and Spiritual Guide for Our Times, and the classic anthology of the writings and sermons of Blessed John Henry Newman entitled The Heart of Newman. Both published by Ignatius Press. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure as always. It is a delight to be able to speak to you about John Henry Newman. Absolutely. Since uh, since the Holy Father's visit to England, of course, we now can officially consider Newman to be in heaven. We've obviously, many of us have believed it from our hearts for a long while, but now the church has given the authoritative sanction to that belief that the blessed John Henry Newman is indeed in heaven and we await with expectation his canonization. As someone who has always been able to see the connections in history, for you to be able to experience this time right now with John Henry Newman so present in our in our vision and collectively as church, you can help guide us to all of the places where he has weaved his influence, whether it's with Belloc or just the great movement within the Church of England towards Rome. Yeah, so the point is that Newman stands uh, as a giant in all sorts of different areas. Historically, he stands as the founder, literally the father of the uh, Catholic uh, literary revival, and you mentioned the influence of Belloc, the influence on Belloc. Belloc was actually educated at the Birmingham Oratory School during Newman's lifetime, and, and there's a wonderful episode when Newman presents the young you know, Belloc as a, as a school student with a copy of one of his books as a prize. J.R.R. Tolkien was also uh, educated at the Birmingham Oratory School, uh, where, which, which Newman founded. And although Tolkien was uh, 10 years or so too young to actually have been studying there when Newman was alive, uh, Father Francis Morgan, a uh, priest of the Oratory who knew Newman well, became Tolkien's uh, legal guardian. So, you know, the, these, are, these are direct influences. But, you know, Newman received uh, Gerard Manny Hopkins, the, the greatest poet of the Victorian mm. era, into the church in 1866. And his influence, when I wrote my book, Literary Converts, his influence over the whole host of converts to the Catholic faith from the 1850s, 1840s, right through to, you know, well after the Second World War, and indeed today. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy to be considered in the same breath as 
as these great writers, but reading Newman's Apologia Pro Vita Sua was an, a major milestone on my own conversion back in the 1980s. So, you know, his influence just uh, palpitates and resonates down the centuries since his own reception to the church. The beautiful preface that you had, and also the heart of Newman, is very encouraging for us today, because sometimes when we think of John Henry Newman, there's a fear to go near him because he seems as though he's operating all out of the head. But that could be such a misunderstanding of Newman, because if anybody, he operates so much out of the heart. Right. Well, absolutely. Um, I, I like the, uh, the, the image that Chesterton presents of his uh, friend, Father Vincent McNabb, when Chesterton said of, of Father McNabb that he walks on a crystal floor above my head. And we might be tempted to see Newman's walk on a crystal floor above our head. And I think in terms of, uh, of sanctity, I think that's very much the case. But in terms of being accessible to the, the average lay reader who wants to make the effort, I think he has the same sort of gift that people such as Chesterton and C.S. Lewis have in, in conveying very deep, profound, complex theological and philosophical points in a language which speaks, to use his own phrase, from heart to heart as well as from head to head. Mm -hmm. What was it that, for you, clicked with Newman? I mean, what was there a moment? Was there a phrase? I mean, of course, the, the, the great writing that you referred to, but was there something in particular that just said, wow? Well, yes. When, when I was exploring Catholicism myself, you know, in the days before my conversion, it, 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 very, it became clear to me very quickly, of course, that Newman was a giant figure in Catholicism within the context of, of the English Catholic revival, a giant, indeed the founder, father of that. I, I wanted to read Newman, and when I picked up his Apologia Pro Vita Sua, it absolutely blew me away because he systematically demolishes the arguments against Catholicism so that you know all of my own questions were being answered and all of my own my, my own sort of doubts and misunderstandings about Catholicism were being swept away just by the majesty of this man's prose and the majesty of his mind and the accessibility of, of uh, you know of his heart and head so having read that it was very difficult to do anything but but take the obvious next step which was reception into the church it was a major work on my own conversion. So the Apologia has to be the work of his, but I would say had the most profound influence on me. Although I would add, as a, as a literary person, that his novel, Loss and Gain, mm. which was written earlier and is also semi-autobiographical and, and charts the, character, uh, the character's conversion to Catholicism, is also an astonishingly good uh, novel, and we're going to be including it in the, uh, in the Ignatius Critical Editions very soon. I have a a new annotated uh, edition and introduction written by a Newman scholar that I'm excited about using. It is such a gift that we have in his writings, as you just pointed out, that we don't want to miss out on it because it would almost be like missing out on a wonderful painter and not taking in the, the beautiful imagery that they might be able to present to us. And that's what Newman does with his words, isn't it? I mean, whether it's a, a sermon or whether it's a, a, a poetry or if it, it, in literature. I mean, he's capable of so much with that beautiful palette. Absolutely, and uh, I, I love your imagery of a painting because you know several leading leading critics and writers have stated their belief, which I am um, you know very uh, comfortable in, in in agreeing with that that Newman was the greatest prose stylist of the Victorian era. 
Now think about that. I mean, it, it, arguably, the Victorian period in English literature was the golden age. You know, that the, there was, there's never been an age prior to it, and there's never been an age since that the, the, where there's been so many great writers, uh, both in prose and poetry. Now, to to be called the greatest prose stylist of the Victorian era is is, is praise uh, almost beyond compare. And it's true that when you read Newman. It's what you're getting are beautiful ideas expressed with great beauty. And, and it's mm -hmm. difficult to do that. I mean, the, the ideas of the Catholic Church, the teaching of the Catholic Church are profoundly beautiful. But it's very difficult for us in language to be able to actually um, accurately or express the beauty of it in, with beautiful means, but through the words, through the language. And Newman has this great ability to actually make the beautiful beautiful uh, not merely because of the beauty of the ideas, but the beauty of the, lang of the language with which he, uh, he expresses them. Well, that's the fact that he would receive into the church Gerard Manley Hopkins, I, that in itself. But even Hopkins is lifted up higher than Newman, I think, when it comes to the articulation of the English heart. Well, these two men, I mean, I really, I, I think you can say this without sounding too exaggerated, that Newman is the greatest prose stylist of the Victorian period, and Jeremy Hopkins, the greatest poet of the uh, Victorian period, and one receives the other into the church. I mean, you know, uh, and both of them become Catholic priests. The role of Catholicism in ascending the heights of uh, English culture through the beauty of its language, it, again, is, is incomparable. It, it's remarkable. And, you know, n none but a Philistine and an ignoramus, quite frankly, could deny the central role of, the, of Catholicism in uh, the heights of English culture over the last 150 years. Knowing his heart so well, Joseph, do you feel in that time of conversion for him, especially given the historical period that he was placed in and that moment on the timeline and location right there in the heart of England, do you think his conversion was one like Jacob struggling at, with the angel, or was it something else? Was it the, like the calling of Abraham? or How was the soul, given well, everything? Well, you know, I, I, I normally feel that, that, that conversions fall into two distinct categories. And I know this is a sweeping generalization, for which I hope you and your listeners will forgive me. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, there are these sort of sudden blinding revelations of a St. Paul. There's something happens, whether it's, whether it's a suffering in one's life or, 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 or just having an experience or reading one book that just has a life-changing, almost overnight experience, and those people convert instantly. And then you have what I call the St. Augustine uh, conversions, those where you have a very clever, very smart, but very reluctant convert who almost has to be hunted down by, by the, the hound of God, um, the hound of heaven, as, uh, as Francis Thompson, the poet, would say. Mm -hmm. And I think that Newman's conversion is very much in that latter category. You know, he, he was someone that began with many uh, prejudices against uh, Catholicism, even believing you know, that, the, that the, the Pope was the Antichrist and, and these, these very knee-jerk reactionary Protestant prejudices. And bit by bit, through his study of history and his study of philosophy, comes to realize that the Catholic Church is not what he had been led to believe it was. But even then, he remained a very reluctant convert. He was comfortable in the Church of England. He was held in high esteem in the Church of England. He was, people were prophesying the, the, the great career in the Church of England, perhaps, you know, a, a future Archbishop of Canterbury. And to give all of that up, 
purely because that his heart and his head told him that the Catholic Church was the one true church and that the Anglican Church was not part of it. And to follow his principles, to follow his heart and his head, his faith and his reason, at great personal cost, after a period of several decades of soul-searching and, and mind-building, uh, 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 to me, he, his is a, a St. Augustine-type conversion of the highest order, and perhaps, you know, the greatest conversion along those lines since, since Augustine himself. Mm. I mean, just the legacy, again, it's almost that the game that people will play, the, what is the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon? How many of the seven degrees of Cardinal Newman? I mean, it, it leads us to Chesterton as well because of the influence of the friendships that he had. And, and then Chesterton, of course, would influence so many others. I mean, it just goes on and on, this great ripple of this, this wonderful pebble in the middle of this pond. Exactly, and and the wonderful thing about it, of course, is what we're what we're looking at here is a chain reaction. Uh, I, in in my book, uh, Net, uh, Literary Converse, I talk about network of minds and a network of hearts. But there's this there is this network, and and it is a, and it's a chain reaction. And and Newman's impact impacted so many others, who in turn impacted so many others. So uh, we this is very encouraging for us because what it really shows is that each of us in our lives have an impact upon others and it is a chain reaction now obviously we can't be as powerful in our in our witness as the great giants like john henry newman but every good every virtuous act that we we make in our lives impacts others in a way that leads them closer to christ and of course and and and, and far more soberly every sinful action that we have impacts others and leads them further from christ so this is something which is a call a call to action for all of us in the knowledge that what we do helps to bring about Christ's kingdom or, or helps to prevent it coming about. And the, the lessons of great, great, great saints such as Newman, great, great, great spirits such as these other Catholic converts we've been talking about, you know, just shows us that we, like them, can change the world. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. This is Dr. Anthony Lillis and Chris McGregor, and we invite you to join us in a once-in-a-lifetime Discerning Hearts Trinitarian pilgrimage throughout the Holy Land. This will be a unique opportunity for contemplative prayer, spiritual teaching, and fellowship in one of the holiest areas on the earth, the places touched by the lives of Jesus, Mary, and the Apostles. During this time, we will also walk closely in the company of the prophet Elijah through the most miraculous moments in salvation history, our history, which would later become pages in the gospel. Along with Sister Magdalite Balduc of the Community of the Beatitudes, the community of the famous Father Jacques Philippe, we hope to lead you into a new encounter with the great mysteries of our faith and a renewal of your devotion to the Lord. Join us May 26th through June 2nd, 2020. Please visit discerninghearts.com for a full itinerary and learn more about the contemplative Discerning Hearts Trinitarian pilgrimage to the Holy Land. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That 
is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, or Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Inside the Pages. The rise in the, all of those isms during the, the 1800s, whether the, the thought process, whether it's Marxism and Darwinism and all these other isms that would come forward and wreak havoc on the 20th century, Newman really is the antidote to those, I mean, to that type of thinking, isn't he? I mean, he's the, the antithesis of those he is and the, the, the one of the great gifts that he gives us is he's uh uh at one of the same time a modern a modern intellect that uh, engages with these modern isms these modern heresies uh but at the same time a thoroughly tradition oriented uh mind um and heart that engages these modern isms um with uh with a profoundly uh, orthodox uh, perspective. Um, so, uh, for instance, in the grammar of ascent, you know his great his great work of philosophy. You know he shows the inadequacy of empiricism, how pure materialism cannot actually bring us to any meaningful truth, and also shows thus that that the faith itself is the, uh, the 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 sum of all probabilities. That when you look at all the evidence from all different areas, be it theology, philosophy, science, history, and you look at all the evidence that uh, it leads us towards an acceptance of, uh, of, of Christian faith. And he's addressing a time you know, where, where the influence of Marx is on, on the rise, the, the influence of utilitarianism, relativism, secularism, um, Darwinism, are all there, they're all present very much, and industrialism, of course, and mm-hmm. Victorian England's at the heart of the, this world empire. Um, uh, so he addresses all of these uh, very modern man- uh, manifestations um, from a profoundly orthodox and tradition-oriented perspective, and, and for that, of course, he's a great help to us, because we have to also engage these these modern manifestations uh, in our own faith life and in our own efforts to convert other people uh, to the church. Well, I love your work uh, to to jump to a, an, another area where Newman could have an influence. I mean, even on economics. I mean, in your work, the small is still beautiful. You bring out the fact that many of these teachings have implications for us today, and that's why it's so important to dive into their intellect, which is fueled by the the grace from their heart. Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, the the, the famous uh, the famous scientist Sir Isaac Newton, 
uh, with with you know with true humility said that you know that he's not himself a genius. He saw and discovered what he saw and discovered by standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, and and that's indeed true of science. And we sometimes forget that science, you know, is sometimes used by modernity as as proving that modernity is superior to the past. But science, as much as or perhaps more than uh, other areas uh, of knowledge relies upon a living tradition that the, the people experimenting and, and, and making developments from previous discoveries to get where it is. It's a very tradition traditional uh discipline. But what's true of Darwin uh is is, is sorry, what's true of of, of, of uh, Sir Isaac Newton um in standing on the shoulders of, of other scientists is true of us and we're standing on the shoulders of these great Catholics of the past, you know, be it St. Thomas More, William Shakespeare, John Henry Newman uh, G.K. Chesterton, and it's from the heights uh, and the perspective that we can see from their shoulders that we are able to understand the problems confronting us uh, and our neighbours and able to and able to make progress uh, in the spiritual life. I just think the heart of Newman, and which you have again written the wonderful foreword for that is being released by Ignatius Press, it is one way to get into into his writings. Are, are you getting a sense that we're about to experience a renaissance of Newman enculturation into our hearts again? I mean, similar to what's been experienced with Chesterton, and because of, in many ways because of your work with Shakespeare and a lot of those other literary and theological thinkers? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that the, the fact that the Holy Father... Um, uh, has made uh, Newman's beatification such a high-profile event uh, in the life of the Church. I mean, it's the first ever beatification that that uh, that, um, that Pope Benedict has presided over. He, in fact, he broke his own rule in order to do so because he he said he would only preside over canonizations, not beatifications. And mm-hmm. the fact that not only did he preside over Newman's beatification, but he used it. Uh, if you like, as as a as a lever to for, to to get this state visit to to England, which allowed him to preach to modern England and of course to a global audience, um, that I think brought Newman right back to the fore and to the centre, and that has to be good because the rediscovery of Newman is a rediscovery of of, of, of some great riches that that he has has bequeathed to us uh, through his life and work. So yeah, I, I thank I thank God for Newman. I also thank thank uh, god for the holy father for for bringing newman right back to the to to, to the center of, of 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 our understanding of the catholic faith speaking of riches what are you working on joseph pierce i can't wait <laughs> well uh, while i'm teaching full time here at uh, at Ave maria it's difficult to uh, to work on too much at all by way of writing i keep up my editing and uh, commitments during this period, but I'm teaching mostly. But the year just gone. I, most of my writing is done between January and August. I've mm-hmm. just finished a, a book on uh, on the orthodoxy of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And next year, my main project is going to be actually to write my own uh, conversion story because I, I keep getting asked to give give talks on my own conversion. And every time I give the talk, people keep asking me, "Well, when you know, is this available in in, in book form?" and uh, it's quite clear to me that there there seems to be a, a a demand for 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 my to actually my actually writing about this. So that's my main project for next year is to try to get that that finished, written and finished. Let's get together again soon because I love the literary work you're doing and the classics that you're bringing forward with, with it. Oh, I, honestly, I'd I'd welcome the opportunity to do a do an interview with you on the Ignatius Critical Editions. Um, it's a labor of love, and that's one thing that 
Now, obviously, I am keeping up 12 months round because that's an ongoing project. Um, and in fact, discussing it this morning with uh, the production manager and lots of exciting things happening uh, in the future for that. And I think it might just begin to, to, to take off as this, this has a great, great potential for, for having an impact on the culture. You have developed a, a beautiful voice of authority for many folks. They feel very comfortable with the fact that when you recommend something or you describe things, they want to race out and enter into it. And that's why the Shakespeare has been such an extraordinary success. People are embracing that, but also the lives of these great literary figures. Belloc, look what you've done with Belloc, as well as Chesterton and all the others. I mean, there's something, even Oscar Wilde, for crying out loud. I mean, and I don't mean to, but I mean, for today's world, yeah. making well, it very my, relevant. My, my own conversion story from, from my sordid past shows that nobody is beyond reach, and that includes good old Oscar. Well, and that's you know, it. The hand, the, hand, the hand of grace is long longer than any, uh, anything that, that Satan has to put against it. Uh, and I think so many people, are, are once they get through the apologetic part and they, they embrace their Catholicism, they want to go deeper, but they want to go into that place where God's, the great imagination is, is invoked and they're able to practice those virtues. And they do that through that literature. Absolutely. And I think, I think that, 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 that this evangelizing the culture in the way that, that, uh, that you and I are trying to do uh, has a, a, a two-way, a double-edged effect. Uh, it, it, it gives uh, Catholics themselves a stronger handle on their faith and the importance of their faith to the wider culture. It teaches them uh, the goodness, truth, and beauty of, of Catholicism through these great works. But it also it, it has a crossover effect because although you, you cannot get non-Catholics and certainly non-Christians to engage you on matters of theology uh, or mat matters of scripture, you can, get, you can engage them on matters of art because that's, it, it, if you like, it appears to be a neutral ground. And of course, it appears to be a neutral ground, but when you actually find yourself on it, you see that the vast majority of the great works of literature are not neutral ground at all, but Christian ground. Mm -hmm. And once these people are already on that Christian ground, which you, that you wouldn't get them to walk on if it was scriptural, but because it's literary, they're on that neutral ground and having to uh, engage uh, Christianity. And once they start doing that, you know, then you're leading them in the right direction. So it has great evangelical power as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not in your face, but it's much more subtle than that, and in some ways more effective for it. I realize I'm probably bordering on a, a kind of a, a hokey type of question, but I, I have to ask it. What would Shakespeare have thought of this occurrence, I mean, with John Henry Newman? Well, I don't think it is. Uh, I mean, it's, I, I suppose ultimately it's a bit hypothetical, but then every science fiction novel is hypothetical. Um, uh, George Orwell's 1984 uh, is hypothetical, but mm -hmm. it doesn't mean there aren't profound truths that can arise out of the hypothetical question. So I think that he would have been uh, absolutely delighted and astonished, first of all, that, uh, uh, to know if he could see into the future, which after he died and went to heaven, he could, of course, uh, that, uh, that Newman was converted and came into the church in 1845, and then to see that, that Pope Benedict, a visit to England by the Pope, uh, which would have been absolutely uh, unthinkable in, in, in Shakespeare's time when priests were being put to death. A visit to England by the Pope with uh, um, hundreds of thousands of people coming out to cheer and celebrate him, with the, those that, the secular fundamentalists that plagued Shakespeare uh, and the Catholics of Shakespeare's time so much in his own time as a, a marginalized minority on the streets in, in comparison to the hundreds of thousands that, that came to, to, 
to cheer the Pope. I think his heart would be uh, warmed by that and, and the realization that for all the efforts over the centuries, uh, the, the heart of English Catholicism continues to beat across, across those centuries. And as an Englishman yourself, viewing your homeland right now, it must be a thrilling experience for you. Oh, I mean, I, I, I was, I was greatly honoured to be asked by Raymond Arroyo to join him for the live coverage of of the Holy Father's visit uh, for EWTN, and and one good thing about that, it basically effectively gave me a front row seat for all of these talks, which means I could experience the whole thing mm-hmm. rather than just sort of seeing sort of sound bites in, in news coverage, and it, it for me the the fact that Holy Father. You know, touched all the right buttons, pressed all the right buttons about the English martyrs, about the dictatorship of uh, relativism, about secular fundamentalism, about the need for the for the new evangelization. Uh, I mean, for me, it was uh, a joy beyond real expression, really, that to, just to see this courageous, saintly pope in the heart of my own country telling it like it is, and getting such a positive response from so many people, even if it did, did of course, cause uh, cause the secular fundamentalists uh, cardiac arrests. <laughs> well, I don't doubt that there's healing available to them as I'll just turn to the source. All they, need to do, all they need to do is listen with an open mind and an open heart, because it's only prejudice and bigotry that keeps, keeps people away from the church. Oh, beautifully said. I just, you know, Joseph Pierce, it is always just an honor, a blessing, a delight, all those wonderful expressions to just to express joy in having you with us. Well, Chris, it's always a great pleasure to be interviewed by you because you, I never know where you're coming from next, and it, and it keeps me on my toes. So uh, <laughs> let's do it again soon. I have to, I'll have to find some excuse for you to phone me again. Well, I'd, I'd, let's find one. All right. God bless my <laughs> dear, dear man. Well, thank you, Chris. This has been a great pleasure as always. With Joseph Pierce, we've been going inside the pages of two books, Blessed John Henry Newman, Theologian and Spiritual Guide for Our Times, and The Heart of Newman. Both books and all of Joseph Pierce's books can be found at www.ignatius.com, the website for Ignatius Press, or at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and download this discussion, along with many others, please visit www.insidethepages.com. I'm Kristen Greger. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.